John 16, 33. It says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. So Jesus here said this, and this was towards the end of his, his ministry on the earth when he was here on the earth. And he said, in me, he, he basically said, uh, if you're in me, he said, you can, you can have peace. But it's interesting how he goes on. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have. You can have this, but for sure you'll have this. In other words, you can have peace in the Lord. In other words, we know from scriptures, even just in the chapters before, there are guarantees to have peace, but there there's qualifications. There's things you have to do to walk in his peace, but you can have his peace all the time. He said, in me, you may have or you can have peace, but he said, guarantee this, in the world, you will have tribulation. What is tribulation? It literally means tests and trials. No matter what in this life, you will have tests and trials. That's one thing we should get settled and get settled now. Just because you're here, you get them. Because sometimes people think, you know, what am I doing wrong? I started serving the Lord and I'm having tests and trials. What is this? You're not maybe doing anything wrong. Jesus just said it's a guarantee that you will have tests in your life. You know, you can go through some good stretches where it just seems like life is perfect. Everything is going on. Then all of a sudden you're like, what is this? Does that mean you're doing something wrong? No. Does it mean you're doing something right? No, but it could be. But sometimes people think, well, what am I doing wrong? Maybe nothing. Jesus just said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. I spoke these so you could have peace. But guarantee this, in the world you will have tribulation. I'm so glad the verse didn't end there. Because <laughs> that would be encouraging. You can do something to have peace. I'm telling you, you can have my peace and walk in it. But guarantee you will have tribulation in the world. But... That's so good that he put that there. And it's important to have your butt in the right place when you talk. Yeah, out there? It's important. Because some people say, you know, God's great, but. No, they should say, there's a lot of trouble, but God. And there's a huge difference. And that's what Jesus did here. He didn't say, you know, be of good cheer, but. <laughs> no. He said, in the world you will have tests, you will have trials, things will come against you, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
I have overcome the world. This is at the end of his life and ministry, and he had mastered everything in the law. He had never sinned. He had never failed. He was just about to die and be a sacrifice, but he had conquered everything and showed a way to live. And then the work he was about to do was going to seal the deal for humanity to be able to walk in victory. That's what he wanted. He said, listen, there's going to be stuff in the world. We live in a world that is fallen. And the less gospel light that is in the world, the darker it will become. You with me? I mean, you, we just, you just turn on the news for a little bit and you read about stuff and you think, wait a minute, what about this? Well, in the world there's going to be tribulation. And we know as time progresses on toward the Lord's second coming, it's going to get worse. So don't be amazed. Jesus even said right before in the beginning of this chapter, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. He said that in the 14th chapter. He talked about these things and said, I spoke these things so you would not be moved. So you can live a life and not be moved even though the world is in turmoil. That's good to know. That doesn't mean you won't face things, but it does mean you can do something to win when you face them. Let's turn to a few verses here. Romans the 8th chapter. Romans 8. We'll just jump through a couple of verses real quick to establish a certain thought. Because sometimes the idea somewhere comes along that you can't do every, anything against trouble that comes in your life. And if it comes, you just kind of get beat up and thrashed and there's nothing you can do to win nothing you just kind of you know because of wrong teaching false bible stuff people say you know god's in control and he just is sending this bad jesus never talked like that nor did the disciples talk like that. Matter of fact, one time Jesus was in the middle of a storm with his disciples. He had said, let's go to the other side. And a storm just came. And he is sound asleep. And the disciples woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And he said, you never know what the Lord's trying to do. He might, he might be trying to kill us right now. If God didn't want his disciples killed back then by enemy attacks, because he rebuked the storm. Now, if the storm was sent by God, then Jesus was rebuking God and his work. That wouldn't make sense. You know, and if you really believe that, you know, some sickness comes from God, and, you know, and he's trying to teach you something, you know, he's just trying to make you something, you know, trying to teach you. You never know what the Lord's trying to teach you. If the Lord's trying to teach you something, shame on you for taking an aspirin to get rid of that headache. Just trying to get out of God's will like that. You wicked thing, you can't believe you trying to disobey, get out of God's will. See how dumb that is? People say, well, you know, you never know. The God, God's just in control, and he's just making, giving people. You never know. He might have given you that headache to teach you something. Then why are you trying to get untaught by taking an aspirin? No, it doesn't make sense if you question it. 
Are you with me? Aspirin are not bad. But the thing is, sometimes things are attributed or, or things are said, and they just make people go, okay, I guess that's what it is. They don't question. Is it God's will for you to win? In, in everything in life. Romans 8.31 says this. It says, what then shall we say to these things? And he's talking about tests and trials. These things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare, verse 32, his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also, also freely give us all things? So he didn't just say he'd give us his son for salvation. He would give us other stuff. Notice verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? These are people who have given their life to the Lord. It is God who justifies or declares you innocent. Who is he who condemns you? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us or pleads our case before God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or naked or, or nakedness or peril or sword? Just all the things you face in life. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the, shep, uh, for the slaughter. That's what we're counted but that's not how it is because he said, yet, the King James says, nay, or no. No. He said, yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's why he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Go to 2 Corinthians, just a couple of books back in your Bible, the second chapter. Actually, go to 1 Corinthians 15. It's on the way. It's a quick, quick stop. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. More than conquerors, victory. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, just a little further back. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always does. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. God wants you to win in life and to overcome. Now remember he said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome be of good cheer, I have overcome. What has he overcome? That's a good question. What has he overcome? And his overcoming, does it help you to be an overcomer? Now, if you turn with me 
He wants you to overcome. He wants you to win. He wants you to triumph. Notice this in Colossians, the second chapter. We're going to look at a couple of things here, but he wants you to win in life. And what does that mean, win? Does it mean just, you know, have a yacht, you know, and be on lifestyles of the rich and famous? You know, I think sometimes, is God against prosperity? Absolutely not. But I think sometimes people, instead of wanting the Lord first in their life and wanting to serve Him, think this is an opportunity to get rich, and that's what it is. No, like one person said, you have more riches than sit in your wallet. Or we should have. And in Christ, we do. This life, we should, I I mean, if anybody should prosper, why not a believer who serves God? Why not? Why not? But the whole thing is, we need to keep the Lord first, and there's a lot more than that sector of life, but it is a vital part of life. But notice this in Colossians 2.15. This is talking about the work of Jesus. He said, I have overcome the world. Notice this, having disarmed, we'll go back to 14, having wiped out, this is some of the stuff he's done, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There were a bunch of requirements that we could never measure up to that he removed And he washed us clean so we could be in good standing with God. He did that on the cross. But what else did Jesus do? This one right here is so good to know. Because in this world, you know, there's a lot of scary movies. There's demons and there's all. And and people for the major part, or most part, can be quite afraid of the devil. You know, they they get these preachers, you know, that do an exorcism, and you wonder what in the world they are all about, you know. And the world just teaches us to be afraid of the devil. I, I knew a guy that I worked with. He, he was probably one of the tougher people I'd ever met in my life. And uh, he had had a felony and he, he, for uh, hitting a policeman, and um, he just was a different kind of guy. And he, he looked like Jesus, too. He's about 6'2", long hair and a beard, you know, and he just this, this picture. And I gave my life to the Lord, and he told me. I remember I worked with him. This is way back when I first gave my life to the Lord. He told me. He said, I've seen other Christians do their thing. He said, don't, I don't, he said, don't even tell me about Jesus. Don't even talk to me about him until you live it for like 10 years and then come back and talk to me. I thought, wow, 10 years. That's a long time. This is the truth. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. And I knew him well enough. He meant business. Don't talk to me about it. And so I thought, all right, I'll just live this life. You know, I don't know what path is going to lead, but I'm going to pray for him. So I started praying for him. And I prayed this for him regularly. Lord, I pray that, that when he goes to bed at night, that he'll dream about going to hell. He'll just dream about hell. And that, that, that he's lost, he'll, he'll know his condition. And, and I did. I prayed that real regular for him. 
We never talked. We never talked. We never talked. I left, went to Bible school, came back, started working for one person. This guy I used to work with started his own business. This guy went, and this guy that started the business said, hey, come, you know, come work with for me. And so I said, all right, I'll do that. So I went and started working for him. This guy was there, so I'm thinking, man, it's been 10 years. He didn't even remember saying that. But he said this. He said, you know, he said, I already started going to church and everything and give my life to the Lord. And he said, um, he said, you know, the craziest thing years ago, he said, I just started having dreams about dying and going to hell. And he said, I don't want to go to hell. He said, I didn't want to go to hell. So I started going to church with my wife and found out about the Lord. And, uh, so we started talking, you know, I thought, oh, cool, now I can talk to him about the Lord. And so I started talking about something, and then somehow demons came up. This guy, super tough, physically said, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. I'm afraid. I don't want to talk about the devil. I don't want to, none of that. And there's just that, you know, you would think this guy who isn't afraid of anybody but he's afraid of the devil. And Christians many times are, and Jesus said, be of good cheer. You know what that means? All right, hey, be of good cheer. For I have overcome, and I've got things. And notice here what he overcame, verse 15. And having disarmed, the King James said, stripped, that's like a military term. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, Jesus triumphed over the enemy, and he stripped him of his power. Another place, the Bible said, Jesus stripped him of the keys of death, hell, and the grave. You with me? There are many verses like that in the Bible where Jesus conquered him when he died and rose again for us. That's why there's so many verses now like this. Turn to James 4. James, the fourth chapter. And it says this, verse 7. He's writing to Christians. See, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And there might be stuff that comes against your mind. And you're minding your own business. And something to trouble your mind. Or harass you. People think that some of the mental stuff that happens in people's life is just so natural and normal. But where did he strip these guys of their power and their right and their authority? In the unseen realm. And it said he made a public spectacle of them. In the unseen realm, there was a public display that took place. And it was a public display that everything in the unseen realm, every demon knows about it, God the Father knows about it. When Jesus rose up, he stripped the devil of his power. 
he stripped him and disarmed him of his right to do things. But the issue is this, if you don't know it, can he take advantage of you? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to sound crude, but this is a fact. I remember watching an interview with this, this girl, and, and, and a thought came to her head. She'd been in college. She'd been totally normal her whole life. She was her first year in college. And she looked over at another woman, a girl, and had a thought about her. And she said, oh, I must be a lesbian, and just started living that kind of life. I thought, no. If I had a thought to rob a gas station, I wouldn't go, I must be a bank robber or a gas station robber. You with me? I thought she should have come against that thought and said, no. You get out of here. Because in, in 2 Corinthians 10, the Bible talks about casting down vain imaginations. You know, Jesus had some wild thoughts come to his head. said, how do you know that? Because I have a Bible. And the Bible said he was tempted in all, all points like we are, yet without sin. And so we have times in the Bible where he was tempted and he showed how to overcome. He was tempted like we are. So when he was tempted, you know Jesus was tempted to worship the devil? That didn't mean do what we just did here and lift our hands. Literally, worship means serve him. He said, if you'll bow down and serve me, I'll give you this. And so he had a thought come to his head that said, hey, do this wrong thing and serve this person. And Jesus didn't go, oh, I'm having a bad thought right now. No, he, he took the Bible and he said, you are only to worship and serve the Lord God. And then the devil quit with that and started with another one. Then after that small period of time where he was tested, the Bible said the devil left him. It didn't mean he had a devil, it just meant there was somebody there harassing him. And it said he left him, and if you'll go read the story, it said it left him for a more opportune time. He was in a place where he was vulnerable. And when he came out of that vulnerable place and he stood his ground, the devil left him for a more opportune time. I'll come back later. Can we give opportunity to things when we are supposed to be winners? Well, if I'm tempted about certain things, if I go put myself around it, maybe I might find myself having a little more of attack. Jesus hadn't eaten in quite a number of days. 
he had been out in the wilderness and in, in, you know, if you've ever been camping, you know, and the conditions aren't always, you know, perfect, you know, it's not, I mean, unless you drive in a motorhome, I don't know that that's camping, but if you go out there and it starts raining and your tent is leaking, you know what I mean? And all your food you've been eating came from a military surplus store. You know, and you added water and it kind of got soft. And you stepped outside the tent and, you know, you're stepping in mud because it's raining and just the conditions aren't right. At first, it might be funny and we're just enjoying ourselves. But after a while, you know, when you're having to do stuff in those conditions, you can get worn a little bit. You need to be aware of your circumstances and know that there are times when things can come against you. And you need to be alert when you're overly tired. When you've been under a lot of stuff, you need to pay attention. You can go read through the Bible and see where people yielded to the enemy. Peter did. He loved the Lord. He's in the situation where he knows that people are going to come and take Jesus. He's all heightened. So he said, I'm, I'm not going to let him do it. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't talking to Peter. Peter was listening and said something that was so inappropriate, he didn't realize he was trying to get Jesus out of the will of God. And so we need to understand, like Mary and Martha, one got so busy in life, quit spending the time she needed before the Lord, and she got upset with her sister for sitting down and not being a worker and getting everything done. And so she called Jesus, her sister, on it, and Jesus said, wait just a minute. He said, she chose that good thing, and it shall not be taken from her. She had gotten all stressed out. She put herself in a condition where she could get worked up, where she should have chose what was right, then gone and done the other thing. What I'm saying is we need to be careful in life and recognize ourselves. It's not always other people that are creating problems for you. Sometimes we can just get so wound so tight that we put ourselves in a place and we unravel. But then there is an enemy too. Okay, now not everybody's amening that much right now. But the fact of the matter is there is an enemy. And he will try to work too. There is a you, there is a God, and there is an enemy. And we should, we should know that. You with me? We should know that. I remember one time I was working. Uh, we're going to read James here in a second. I was working at this restaurant and, uh, when I was in school. And uh, this uh, head, I worked in this hotel that had a restaurant and the restaurant, there was a head cook in the back and a head guy over the whole whatever area back there where they cook stuff. Then the restaurant side. And, and so we, I was a busboy. And so 
you had to go back there. And so I, when I'd walk in right off, I'd say, hey, how's everybody doing? You know, hey, hi. And he would always cuss. And then he just got really mean to me. I thought, for no reason. So I thought, well, I'm just going to purpose to be like, hey, how's it going? So I found that he would always cuss and answer me because he knew I didn't like it. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to say, how are you doing? I'm just going to say, hey, it's good to see you. So then he, I'm not opening the door for a response. And it just kept getting worse and worse until he said, you, you can't come back in this back area. I said, well, I have to get stuff. I work here. Well, you can't go past this. And he's not doing this to anybody but me. This is the truth. You know, like that one kid said, Dad, are all those stories you tell when you're preaching, are you preaching, or are you, are you telling the truth, or just preaching? You know? <laughs> no, he's telling the truth, but preaching. So I had been reading, like, verses like this and a couple others, and so in my own room, I did this before I went to work this day. I mean, I just was, like, exhausted. I was thinking, man, i got to go to work here. This is horrible. This guy is he's acting like an idiot, and only to me. So I read this verse, I read 1 Peter 5, and I read some other ones. I read Philippians, the second chapter, and, and just read them a few times, and I went to pray. So many people are talking to God when they should be talking to the devil. Now, I'm not saying we should all be talking to the devil. Like, hey, what are you doing? Not like that. No, I read these verses, and on my own, I remember this, the guy, and I called him by name. I said, you foul spirit operating behind him to hinder, harass, and embarrass me. I command you to stop in the name of Jesus. I didn't even think anything of it. I got up from praying. I said, thank you, Lord. You gave us authority. It's in the Bible. I went to work. This is not every three days or every four days. This is every single day he's just like this mean, can't come here, cussing, carrying on. So I go to work, and I did this. I believed it. But you know how you've been through stuff, so you're like, you know, you kind of put your shoulder down because here we go. And I, and I knew how to ask the right thing or say the right thing so he wouldn't give a response, but he still was. I walked in and just said hi to everybody, and I'm like, you know, Pop my umbrella up thinking, here, here we go. And he just said, hey, how's it going? Said, you know, that was a change. I thought, oh, that's interesting. He said, I, I need to talk to you. Okay. So he takes me in the back where he said, you can't go back past here. And he said, you know, I just been thinking, I need to go to church with you. <laughs> this is the truth. He said, I need to go to church with you. He, he said, I, I, I do. I just need to go to church with you. I said, well, okay, that, that, would, be, that would be good. I'm thinking, you know, you, obviously on the outside you're looking calm, but on the inside I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And uh, he said, hey, I just made some chocolate-covered strawberries. You want some? <laughs> I said, there's more in the refrigerator if you want some. And the, no joke, from that day forward, he never, ever did any of that junk again. Can people be motivated? By wrong things, you better believe they can. You better believe they can. I mean, we know 
that people were in 1 Corinthians 2 because it said, had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but the Bible talks about their minds were blinded. Do we have authority we don't know about? This doesn't mean that anytime somebody like, you know, gives you the wrong change at McDonald's or something, they're uh, full of the devil. No, they maybe made a mistake. But there still is a truth here. Notice this in James 4, 7. It says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Why? Because Jesus stripped him of his power. No Christian should ever be afraid of the devil. None of them. Not one Christian. James earlier on talks about how that demons believe in God, but they tremble. They're afraid. They're afraid of God. They're afraid of his people, but through a lack of knowledge, they try to manipulate people because they know that Christ made us to rule and reign in this life. Romans 5.17 talks about that, ruling and reigning in this life. Turn to 1 Peter 5. See, Jesus got us the victory, but you have to enforce the victory he got. The mistake is, is when we think that if he got something for us, then it automatically is mine, is a huge, huge mistake. 1 Peter 5. Notice this. Casting, verse 7, casting all your cares, worries, concern, once and for all, on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, literally means self-controlled, and vigilant or watchful because your adversary, the devil. You have an adversary. You have an adversary. The devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking to do this, but can he just do it? Some people think he can just do what he wants to do. You can be a three-year-old and live in victory. Notice this. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, other people go through what you go through. You're not the only one who has ever faced a problem. You're not the only one who has ever faced anything in this life. I've had opportunity to see all kinds of things. You can overcome fear. You don't have to live your whole life full of fear. Second Timothy 1.17 said, God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but the spirit you've received is a spirit of power or authority, love, and of a sound mind or self-control. You have help inside of you. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. But here's the thing, because you have authority, 
does not mean it automatically works. It works when you use it. If you have keys to a car, you can use them and go somewhere. But you can have keys to a car, and if you don't use them, you won't go anywhere. But you can't say you don't have them. You can't say it's not true. Just because other people are enjoying the benefits, and you can too, but you won't if you don't do something with them. I mean, kids get bullied at school. Is there something we can do about that? I've dealt with this as a youth pastor, where we've taken kids aside, prayed with them, took authority over things behind other kids, and things changed. And I understand that there are things that happen in the world and that people face, but we've come to the place where we have, in the world for the most part, are looking to the natural to solve spiritual problems. And Paul said it this way, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. That's not where our main fight is. When you pray and you don't see an answer immediately, does that mean God didn't hear you? Daniel had an issue. He prayed. You know, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, there's several times where they prayed, or he prayed. One time he prayed, and he got an answer just like that. The next time he prayed, it took 21 days to see the answer. And what's interesting, an angel came to him and said, Daniel, you know, I heard, you know, God heard your prayer on the first day. He said, the day you set yourself to seek me, I was sent from the throne of God. Daniel's probably thinking, like then, did you go the long way? As last time it took like right now and this like 21 days. He said no. Well, he didn't say no because he didn't ask, did you take the long way? But he explained what happened. He said, listen, he said, I was sent the first day, but the prince of Persia withstood me. So there was an opposing force. He said, but Michael, an archangel, came and prevailed against him, and now I've come. Just because you don't see something on the first day doesn't mean God has stopped and said, no. God could be working on your behalf right now. What if Daniel would have said, enough, this prayer business don't work. You know, I prayed. I prayed two weeks ago, and this don't work. It used to work because way back I prayed, and bam, it happened. Now it, prayer just doesn't work like it used to. Must be something wrong with me. You know, my faith just must not be where it... Why do people have to talk themselves out of who they are and what they have? What if Daniel would have done that? Well, you know, the, you know, this prayer business stuff, it doesn't work anymore. The thing was, he didn't know that there were things in the unseen realm at work. And just because you come up against something doesn't mean you have to give way. Do you need to walk in love? Yes. Do you need to be patient and kind? You better believe it. But the issue is, are there other things out there that maybe we have authority against? Casting all your care upon him, but then he said, resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him. We saw over there, he said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Is there authority 
that we don't know about. When you're tempted, can you speak under your breath? You don't have to scream, but can you use the name of Jesus and resist something and make it flee? You know what's interesting? Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say pray to God about resisting. It always talks about what you will do about it. Because God has given his authority to the believer. That's why he gave his name. When, when Jesus gave authority to the disciples in, in, in Luke 10... When they came back and they had prayed for people and started seeing stuff happen, one of the things they all just they went, whoa. They said, hey, even demons are subject to us through your name. Here's the thing. Devils are afraid of us. We should not make our pursuit about devils. That's where people failed and then they, everything is about the devil. No, our focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus. But understand, there is a real adversary, uh, you know, and he's out there and he's roaring and carrying on trying to get people to be afraid and get people to do things. And he can get involved in stuff, but we have a right. We have a privilege. We have authority in the name of Jesus. I mean, I've had to deal with things just like everybody else will in life. And I've had the privilege of helping people too. I mean, I've seen some stuff, you know. I remember one day we were here and, and a person in the church uh, said that, that their, their, their daughter, who was a, a mother of three, had had some mental problems and just kind of their mind wasn't right. And could you help them? I said, sure, bring them down here. We'll pray for them. Because, you know, if somebody doesn't know better, you can use your authority. So the person came down and, 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 but before Pastor Linda said, could, could I be there? I'd like to be there. I'd like to see this. I said, oh, brother. No, I didn't say that. I said, sure. So we, they, they came in the room and, and we sat, we all sat down together and she just looked like, you know, she had been dragged around behind a car. She, she just didn't look good. And so we started talking to her and so I said, well, I could pray for you, and if, you, you know, if, you'll, if you'll, you know, live for the Lord, we could help you. All right, you know. So I took authority, just like I said. I said, I, can, I break your power off of her. In Jesus' name, I command her mind to go normal. And this is no joke. Pastor Linda even said something after. You could see it. Her face just lit up. Just it all left. And she told me after, she said, she said, she said, her face totally changed. She looks different. And then afterward, talking to her mom, she said, yep, she's still good. She's still going fine. But anybody could rise up themselves. Here's the problem when you talk about this. Never, ever do you ever, anybody, ever have to be afraid of the enemy. I remember one time we had somebody in the church in California, and I always found this interesting, the, when the pastor would be gone, and there were other pastors there on staff, but then he would have me preach, and then and stuff would happen. You know, I mean, it'd just be like, hello, this just happened. 
And so what happened here was this. I was in, in uh, actually, I think I was at my house and this person called and it was somebody in the church who was a leader in their church and their kid had lost their mind. They're actually one of the board members. And what had happened was years before, the same thing had happened to the mother's brother when he was about 15 years old. And um, he basically is under house care all his life now, and he's in his 50s. They said, can you help? I said, yeah. Here's what we're going to do. So I prayed, and I took authority and broke the power of that thing, and the kid's mind just snapped right back to normal. Blink, like that. Never a problem again. Six months later, the pastor goes on vacation. And guess who calls? What, what's up? My daughter is back like this, and she's in a panic. I said, now, before I pray for you, we're going to change something here, and this is never going to happen again. Now, this has been, this has been, I've been here quite a few years, and it was a few years before that. She's never had a problem since then. But I said, here's how we're going to fix it. Then I'll pray, and then it'll never come back. I said, you're afraid of this. There's your problem. You're afraid. So I said, the first thing you need to do is say, fear, get out of here. I will refuse to be afraid of you, of anything happening to my daughter. Then I prayed for the daughter again. Just said, I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And the daughter's mind just went right back to normal. Am I trying to make you afraid? No. I'm just telling you, if I had time, we could teach on this week after week from the Bible. No Christian should ever be afraid of anything. But there are real things out there. And you and I have authority over them. Every believer has authority through the name of Jesus. Jesus said it like this in, in, in uh, Mark 16, 15. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, you will cast out devils or exercise authority over the enemy. You don't have to be afraid. The only reason people are afraid is they have an identity issue. It's the truth. They actually don't know just how powerful they are in the Lord. That's a fact. That's just a fact. They don't know. Let's close over here in Ephesians, the first chapter. They don't know what Jesus did for them, that he set them right. You could pray for your friends like this. You could pray for people and bring help to them. Some things that just happen and some trouble, you know, that occur. I remember this one guy. These two friends of mine were Christians. 
And they would go around this other guy, and they said, every time we leave there, it's like we're always, everybody's always fighting and everything and stuff. I said, why don't you take authority over that? Maybe it's something working there that shouldn't. They both just prayed. They took authority over the name of Jesus. They say, we go back over there now. We always leave. We never have problems. You with me? Notice this, verse 20 of the first chapter. This is a prayer that Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus that they would know what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Before I read this, if you would go back to Isaiah, we won't go there now, but when you read when Satan at the end of time is judged and we're all there and everybody in the world is there before God, it says that people will look and say, is this he, in a derogatory term, him who shook the nations? That's what's going to happen when we get there. Everybody, saved and unsaved, is going to go, we listened to that. He was actually the one doing this, and we let it happen. Where did I tell you to turn Ephesians 1, verse 22? He's praying that we would know the power that God worked in Jesus when he rose him from, raised him from the dead. Which, which, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, own right hand, in the heavenly places. When he talks about Jesus being raised up to the right hand of God, we're commanded to think on him there. When he was raised to the right hand of God, it literally means the place of power, the place of authority, the ultimate place of authority. He said, seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice this, verse 21, far above all principalities, all power, all might, and dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In other words, he's been raised up above them, victorious over them. Not only now in this world, but in the time to come. Notice verse 22, and. So he's connecting this thought. And he put all things under his feet. In other words, when we see that term under his feet, it literally means He's conquered them. He's ruling over them. They're under his submission. And it says, and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Notice these things are under his feet. How many of you believe that everything is under Jesus' feet? Meaning he conquered it. He beat it. And it's under his feet. But notice, and he put all things under his feet, his feet. Now, I'm not, I know everybody's intelligent here, so everybody sees me. Remember that game, you know that song? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Right? Anybody? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Everybody's getting this now? Where are your toes? They're, they're at the bottom, down at the end of the extremity called your feet. 
the heads here, then you have your body, your, yes, your shoulders, knees, and toes, but we'll skip that part of the song. You have your body, <laughs> then you have your feet at the bottom, but it's still part of the body. Just, I'm trying to get this because it paints a picture, the head, the body, and then your feet, and he put all things under his feet, but he's the, he's the head, right? He gave he put all things, notice verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He's the head of the church. All things are under his feet, but he's the head of the church. Notice verse 23, which is his body. The body is the church, and all these things are under his feet. Where is the body? right in here so that means it's under the feet which means it's under the body which means we have been raised too because notice he said and he put all things under his feet verse 22 and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all notice as you read on We'll go to verse 5, the next chapter. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know how many times that's written in the New Testament? Numbers of times. What we need to understand is we're the body. We've been given authority. We have rights to pray. We have rights to resist the enemy. And we are not to ask God to resist him. You have the privilege. If you would use his name, you would find that you could clean the air of some things. Don't make this your focus. Matter of fact, Colossians says it this way in the third chapter, in the first verse, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It talks about how you've died, and now you have Christ's life in you, but he said, set your mind on things above. Don't get your mind on the devil. Don't get your mind. That's where people miss it. They start studying about the devil, and they think about the devil. Everything's the devil. That's the devil. A friend of mine, his pastor, went over to some people's house to talk to them and help them with something, and they had a situation going on, and he had one of those sinks that didn't have, you know, in the kitchen they, that, that, that it won't drain over to the other side, you know, from one drain to the other, and he'd plug the one drain and he just left it on, and he left and came out, was talking to the pastor, and then he came back in, and it was just flowing into the kitchen. And he told the pastor, he said, man, the devil. The pastor said, no, that was you. <laughs> but people can get that way. Everything's the devil. That's not to diminish the fact that he's real, but work to keep your mind on the Lord. 
Paul had that demon-possessed person following him for three days and calling out. These are servants of the Most High. And he just ignored the person for three days. On the third day, he turned around and said, come out. And the person got free, and then he got in trouble. Because not everybody's happy. You know, the fortune teller lost his business because that's a sermon in itself. If a devil goes out of a fortune teller and they can't tell fortunes, you need to look at the source. But that being said, we're raised up into a victorious place. Keep your focus on the Lord. Keep your mind on Him. Don't be so bothered with the devil. He's not, he, his biggest thing is he wants you to focus on Him. In life, what you focus on gets magnified. Focus on the Lord. Your faith will grow. Focus on the good and understand this, you do have authority and if you need to use it, you use it.